What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps episode 204. Baby, we out here getting that working. I mean, I mean, all right. So, real quick, huge congrats for a big weekend for the team. The boys out on the regional circuit did the damn thing this weekend. We went and claimed two titles first weekend. We had Armando Getcha. He won. I hope I'm not butchering your last name, my brother. First round TKO. Nasty guy. Hit him with the head kick. I don't even know how the guy sat up. He sat up like the Undertaker. Cracked him. Clean. As a kid is throwing a hook, Armando lands a beautiful head kick. Cracks him in between the punches. This kid falls down on his back and sits up like the Undertaker. Never seen nothing like it. Well, I have Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. Then you had uh, Dylan Montello. Main event, title fight, realizes his dream, captures the 155-pound belt in a rematch that he lost to this kid. Comes back and becomes a champ. Something he's been wanting to do for a very, very long time, and I can feel how emotional that was for him. And that made me feel a little choked up. Because I felt that. I felt that. I was like, I know what it feels like, and I know what it means to want to win something like that that you've been having your eyes set on for so long. So for him to get that, the way he did it through the barn burner of a fight, slipping punches, ripping the body, takedowns, back up, him defending positions where he's, his, his neck is semi-exposed, guy going for a guillotine choke, Dylan going for a half guard, getting out of there, escaping and getting back to his feet, and then putting the, the punches and touching them up while this kid was whipping head kicks at Dylan. Dude, it was a crazy fight for a regional circuit. That was super Super high level. And that's what I've been saying like for so long. Like the skill set that these guys possess on the regionals now is just not even comparable to when I was coming up down, um, up through the ranks. Honestly, it would be extremely hard for me to get through there now because now I'm fighting guys. Well, the skill level has risen so much, even from a grappling standpoint. Like, yeah, I, when I get to a dominant position, I can chill there. I can finish the fight there. Dangerous. Or I can beat the crap out of somebody in that position. But... Getting there now is a lot more difficult because people are just getting that much better, which is good. It's good for the sport. It's good overall growth. The only thing that I feel that will suck is that these some of these guys are going to go through all these wars just trying to get to the UFC. So I'm hoping that we will start to see more of these athletes getting signed with a with lower records in in sense of like um not as many fights coming into the UFC maybe like 4 and 0 or 4 and 1 or 5 and 1 because these fights man these I'm telling you these guys are getting after it and there's only so many of those scraps you can have before getting to the UFC then having those fights in the UFC I mean that's going to compound uh, greatly and we're not even talking about training yet you know what I mean so um before I got off on that tangent of course like I said Dylan Weaving punches, ripping to the body, then put on a beautiful touch with a body kick in the third round. Sits the kid down. He folds over forward like a lawn chair. Like I said, I would do to Henry all over again. <clears throat> and becomes the undisputed 155-pound ring of combat champion. Then we have our guy Dennis Bazookia goes out there to PA, travels to foreign territory. Most of these guys typically fight at ring of combat. Um, Triton, like they fight locally. And I've been telling these guys for a long time, it's good to get on the road, man. See what it feels like when you're uncomfortable, not having to be, always be the favorite. But it, you would have thought it was a New York crowd with how many Albanians showed up with the flags. Brrr, 
showing Dennis some love. And he goes out there, puts on a three-round pace on this kid. This kid was tough. He After he was hurt a couple times, he knew how to survive. There was like three situations where I thought Dennis was going to finish. And the kid managed to cling on and eat the clock. Smart defensively, trying to weather the storm. Because, man, when Dennis was putting it on him, it, it looked ugly. Like this kid was circling away. His hands were getting cracked from the head kicks. Um, he was back, like falling into the cage from the impact of the shots, um, defending the guillotine choke. And then when he got taken down, managed to survive a barrage of ground and pound that was just nasty. And somehow, some way, he managed to cling on until the end of the fight where he was able to hear the final bell. So kudos to that kid for that. But congrats to the teams, to the boys, because we are on. We are on. I don't care if you have the most expensive 12-cylinder. I drive a four-cylinder car, but it don't matter. I You cannot catch my drive because I am on. And no matter how fast you drive, you cannot catch me. That might not come from nothing, but <laughs> I don't know if you guys even know where that's from. It's from the Drake album that just came out, Her Loss. Uh, this guy comes on, he does like a rant at the end, kind of like a monologue. And he just comes out with this, I drive, you could drive the most expensive car, doesn't matter. You drive 12-cylinder, I drive 4-cylinder. You can't catch my drive. I am on. I am on. <laughs> I come from nothing. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but whatever. Uh, other than that, <clears throat> so I did want to talk about the fights from the local regional scenes, give our boys some love. Um, going into this card, uh, I think it was Vegas 65. Some really good fights. I just got to watch the uh, Enchukwi Kutalaba fight. Kutalaba looked phenomenal in that first round. I don't know what happened. Enchukwi just hit like Enzuku and uh, dude, uh, Kennedy tags him in the second round, measures him a lot better, Connects his punches, uses the range and the distance control a lot better in that second round. Lands a beautiful knee after landing a couple of punches, beautiful combinations on Kutalaba. Kutalaba shoots in. It looked like it was instinctively and runs right into the knee. That's the first one that lands flush. I can tell you, you could tell when a guy is rocked. The entire demeanor changes a bit. And from there, um, and Chuki kind of just kept the paces on him. And then in another exchange, he lands another big knee that rocks Kutalaba again. And from there, Kennedy just put on the finishing touches. I love that Keith Peterson always lets the guys fight, fights, fight for the most of the fights. He, he gives these guys every second, every opportunity that he can. And it's one of those, you know, if you want to go out on your shield, I'm going to let you go out on your shield. And I think a lot of us appreciate that. In the long run, I know people are going to say, oh, but... Protecting your health, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like these are life-changing fights, especially when you're on a skid, especially when you're in a title fight. Like those wins and losses, those moments matter like tremendously. So I was actually happy he gave him a few extra seconds to try to fight through because he did try to stand back up. And then as he tried to do, do that, he got clipped again and went back down. And I, for me, I was like, all right, this is only going to get worse from here. Clearly, you gave him every opportunity he could to fight back and he couldn't. Um, so, congrats to Kennedy. Big win over Kutalaba in a main event slot that happened last minute. I don't know what really happened with the main event with Derek Lewis and Spivak. I got to do a little bit of homework and, and see where the changes lie. I think something happened with Lewis. So, I don't know. Kind of crazy. But, man, when I watch Kennedy, I feel like there's so much potential there. 
um, from a striking standpoint, from a grappling standpoint. But I, I feel like he's more of a striker than he is a grappler. In in a fight like that, I feel like that was a big growing fight for him, especially in that second round. First round, he got beat up pretty good. There was a point where he could have almost got finished if um, Kutalaba had a better... I, I, maybe not. Let me not say he could have almost gotten finished. He was in a tough spot. When he was in that headlock position where Kutalaba started to attack the straight arm bar. And Kutalaba could have taken the back or he could have stepped over to the far side in the far the the, the front headlock. Well, the, the headlock position, judo throw. Um, he could have had him there. And as he sat there, sitting him up, rolling him to his back, you could have either done like a, a, a rolling bridge over the top or... You take the, the hand that's on the head and you go to the waist and now you're, the guy who's on bottom is going to try to come up and take your back. And as you do that, you take your far arm because he had him with the right head headlock. So he's got his arm. So follow me here. His left arm is holding the hand. His right hand has that head. He could have taken his right hand, gone to the waist to check him. And then as he tries to come up, beat him on the way up, step over, left elbow would have replaced that arm to take the far hip, control, lock him down, and then spin, what we call a top spin position, and try to scramble to take the back. That could have been a more dominant position, and then having him an opportunity to land a couple of free shots as Kennedy is trying to get back up to his feet. So there were some really good things that uh, Kutalaba did. He cracked him early in the first round, even though he got clipped as well, and he came back and um, cracked Kennedy. And somehow, Kennedy managed to find the range a lot better. It's like he woke up and started to put the finishing touches on, and that ultimately led to the end of the fight. Really, really good fight. I thought competitive. And, you know, I was I'm not throwing shade, but I was being a little like, eh, this main event is kind of like they should have made Muslim and uh, Andre Fialho the main event, even though I still think they could have done that. Uh, I was saying like, ah, have you ever seen like a Kennedy fight and a Kutalaba fight, depending on who they're fighting? It's not always the most entertaining Um and I was being critical of that, and the, and the guys were making fun of me. They're like, why don't you say this stuff all the time on your podcast? I'm like, dude, one, I see these guys in person. Two, it's disrespectful. And three, um, locker room talk is much different than me, like, breaking down and analyzing the fight. You know, I'm not looking to I, – I try to build the fighters up. Um, I feel like Kennedy's – with that performance, looks like he was coming into his own. And I'm like, that's a fight I definitely would tune in to watch. Both guys going back and forth, um, having their moments – and it wasn't really like, like it looked like guys knew what they were doing. I've seen some of other Kennedy's fights and it's kind of like, all right, it looks like these guys have never really trained in the grappling department or vice versa, whatever aspect of the sport it is. And I think when I see stuff like that, it makes me not really want to tune in or I, my mind starts to drift and I start doing other things like I'm on my phone or I'll go to the bathroom kind of thing, you know? So again, not throwing shade. I'm just being honest about what I think a lot of people would say as well. So don't kill me, guys. I love everybody. I love everybody. Um, what we got? I didn't get to watch a lot of these fights. I did get to watch the Muslim Salikov, Andre Fialho fight. Fialho, man, super dangerous. I picked Muslim to win this fight. But I thought Fialho had every punch's chance to, to win this because he's like the Terminator. Just keeps going forward. And I do think the stoppage could have let him go a little bit more because he was caught with a spinning back kick to the body, which cripples you. He covered up, and as, as Muslim came forward, he, he threw some punches, and then Fialho returns with a big shot back. And then he gets hit with a spinning wheel kick to the head this time. Muslim lands two, lands two punches, 
And then the ref jumps in and doesn't give him an opportunity to throw something back. It's not like he fell over. His hands were still up. Yeah, he was rocked. Suspending wheel kick to the head. But what is intelligently defending yourself? If you hit me and I get stunned, and this is why I say when people say, oh, Jan was covering from the punches um, from all his opponents. If you stay here and I start punching your hands with those little-ass gloves or even just your bare knuckle, do that. Have someone just smack your hand and tell me if you don't feel that ricochet into your brain. <laughs> and then tell me how much of that do you think it takes for someone to just step in and they don't need to load up. They just need to step in and put their body weight behind it. And that's rattling your head over and over and over. Guys, it has to make sense. And the only way you'll know these things is if you're actually in there and you try it yourself and you could gain some experience in knowing what it feels like, right? So with this, Fiala had his hands up, but we're talking the heel. We're talking a spin. We're talking torque, um, speed, force, cracking his hand while his hand was up. That impact, I don't care if you had two hands up. You are feeling that. All that reverb, into your brain, shockwave. I don't know if you ever played. <laughs> Jake, don't don't zoom up on me doing that because that was like awkward. I felt awkward doing that. That for me was a little. That was I would say was a little cringy. Cringy is like what makes you go like, ew. What was that? Not like, I don't know. People say cringy for anything. All right, we're not gonna get off on that tangent again. But you get hit with this. It's literally a shockwave that goes through your body as you have two hands up, one hand up. You got a spinning wheel kick to the head. So I understand you were hit and you're now on pause. Your bell's rung. But you gave him an opportunity to fight before. Let him let him take another one, maybe two punches, and be right there ready. If he doesn't return, if he doesn't protect himself, his hands are up. I mean, I don't know how much more protection you could do if you're standing on the feet. You're showing that you want to stay in the fight. You're standing on the feet. Your hands are up. Again, I'm not like bashing the finish. I just think he could have given him a little bit more time and allowed him an opportunity to try to fight through it. Or if he was going to be stuck on pause mode and that was going to be the end of the fight no matter what. You know what I mean? Um, that's, that's all I'm saying with that. But either way, I thought it was a competitive fight. I thought there were moments where Fiajo looked like he was going to take it back when he threw that punch that landed right in the eye socket. I couldn't tell if he broke the orbital bone of Salikov or if it was just a, a knuckle punch that just swelled up the eye of um, Salikov right away. Salikov, man, he, he started wrestling. <laughs> and I see him all the time in the VI too. But he started wrestling. I'm like, you got to love it. When someone says they're going to come in and, you know, there will be no grappling exchanges and then they turn into a wrestler. You know, but that's the game. It's MMA. Mix it up. If you get hurt, do what you need to do to survive and stay in the fight. And that's what he did. And he found a way to win and take home two paychecks. Jack Mandela. I mean, do I even need to say much about this guy? This guy is an absolute savage. He is one to watch. So if you guys aren't paying attention, I'm telling you, the body snatcher, Man, Man, Mandalina. Madalina. Madalina. Jack Della Madalina. Yeah, Jack Della Madalina. Jack Della Madalina. JDM. It's a fucking. He's a savage, bro. Savage. Watch this guy. Watch the body work. Watch the hook that he throws. And watch how he pivots on that, that lead leg as he sits. This looks like he's hitting pads on Danny Roberts. And Roberts, I want to say Roberts fought as good as you could fight technically. But when you get hit to the body with those little gloves, your body just shuts down like a Microsoft computer. Like... There's literally nothing you could do. You can see when he hits him and he gets him against the cage, kind of has him hurt a little bit or stunned or um, 
you know, and I hate, I hate picking the adjectives to describe how these guys are feeling because I don't know how they are feeling in the exact moment. Maybe he was a little uncomfortable. Maybe he wasn't actually hurt, but maybe he was just a little uncomfortable. Yeah, he got hit, but maybe he wasn't like, oh, I was rocked or I was hurt. Oh, I couldn't fight back. But you could tell he was a little uncomfortable. There was some pressure being applied from Madalena. And as he's on the cage, he steps and he pivots that left hook across the body. I think it was the left or the right. Um, it might have been the right. Uh, whichever. He pivots and he that shot just lands so pristine, just money on the body. Roberts almost drops immediately, guys. Immediately. And that right there is nasty. Nasty. Um, a lot of other good fights. We're not going to get into all of these. Um, Tercios, Demo Demopoulos, I'm going to say Vanessa. Um, Heinstein looked great with some bunch of head kicks. The spinning back kick to the face, beautifully timed over the once previously undefeated Blada, uh, Natalia Silva. That was nasty. Ricky Tercios getting a gutsy win over Natividad, gutting out that third round after being dropped. Comes back and wins that round. Um, I don't even know if he even won that round. But I feel like how much is a knockdown worth in MMA compared to someone who then turns the ties, puts some punches on you, then takes your back and almost chokes you out? How much is that worth? I mean, we're talking the beginning of the round versus the end of the round. If it happened at the end of the round, the knockdown, would all that in the beginning of the round have been negated? These are the fine little nuances that we need to know as athletes so that we can better prepare our guys and better prepare ourselves so that when we step in there, we know what we're dealing with and we have some type of expectations. And I feel like we should be able to bring these situations to the table and go com commission or ABC committee, whoever, whatever the, the name of them are. Um, what can we do? Give us some examples so that we're all on the same page so that we have a rubric we can go back to and go, nope, example 1B, example, 2A, whatever. You know, just so we can be like, all right, we're on the same page here. Now we get it. We know what you're looking for. We know what we need to do. And we know where we are in the fight. And it takes the guesswork out of it a little bit more versus like an NBA game where you can see the points on the board. You know what you need to do. For us, we don't know. Like sometimes we're in there, we're just like, I think I'm winning. And then it's like, ah, uh, the decision goes the other way. And then you're all upset and then throwing a hasty fit. Sucks. I got to watch this Charles Johnson fight back versus Zamagalov. Um, I saw when he got kicked. It looked like he got drop foot and then he starts stomping his leg. I don't know if that actually did anything. It looked like if you have drop foot, you can't feel the sensation and it just goes rubber. I was like, man, if he keeps doing that, he might snap his own ankle. That's what I, I thought in the moment, but I don't know. Um, so I, I look forward to watching that one. I was watching some of the fights back this morning because, I didn't, like I said, I didn't get to watch all of them. And I'm going to try to make somewhat of an assessment. I've never had that happen on me, man. Knock on wood. Please don't ever happen. Um, that would just be so, so unfortunate. Um, but I know that some of the people out there would love to see me immobilized in the fight so they could watch me get beat down. That's just the way people are. But that, I mean, if you beat me down, beat me down without like some crap like that happen. Don't do it with like that. That's just like, come on, son. Like, have me lose where I have no excuses. I just want to be able to be like, he was the better man tonight. That's just how I am. But it is what it is. Um, let's see what else we got. So now we got the Chandler calling for a McGregor fight. This is a good opportunity for both guys. I think there's a high chance 
that Conor could come back and look phenomenal against a guy like Michael Chandler, skill-wise. Don't get me wrong. Chandler is a powerhouse. He connects. That fight could be over in the first round. We've seen it with the, the Poirier fight. We've seen it with Tony Ferguson. We've seen it with Dan Hooker. The guy's a tank. When he hits you, people will go to sleep if he gets full-on connection. Even the Gaethje fight in that first round before Gaethje started to really, really pull away and show his technical um, superiority in, in that scrap. Fighting with his hands down. Gaethje fighting with his hands up. Gaethje moving his head. Working the body, working the legs. Big difference. So I think with this, Connor, for me, is still one of the most technical fighters there is out there in the world. The difference is, when he fought at 45, look at the, the variety of skills and techniques that he would use in those scraps versus what he's doing today. When he fought Poirier in the rematch and he fought him in the third time, he typically punched. And then he thought he was, it almost felt like he thought he was a boxer. And then in that third fight, it looked like he suffered some injuries from the kicks in training. And then him going to the kicks over and over and over, um, them getting checked. If he does come in with a previous hairline fracture, easy way of opening the floodgates for a catastrophic injury like he had where he snapped his leg. Dr. Stoppage. So what I'm getting to you guys, what I'm saying right now is, I think Conor could come back and actually beat, which I would say his second guy at the 155-pound division. I don't know if he's going to come down from 170. From what I understand, he's not in the testing pool anymore. And hear me out. For him not being in the testing pool, it raises a lot of red flags. But then you got to also understand he had a major injury, major surgery, and that's going to require a lot of rehab. Now, if I'm Conor, or any athlete, here's what I'm saying to myself. How much is it worth for me in the long run to not take care of my mental, my physical health, mental and physical, but mostly your physical, because I want to play by the rules of USADA and not give my body the best opportunity to recover from a surgery. Not looking for a performance enhancer, but I'm looking for the best way to recover so that I can get back to gameplay and... When I'm done and I'm retired, I won't look in the mirror and be like, I'm mangled because I chose to play by the rules. Um, even though it wasn't an enhancer, it was to speed up the recovery and to make sure I have a strong enough recovery after such a devastating injury, injury like that. And this is something I contemplated with my shoulder, um, but I didn't know back then. This was in 2013 I had the surgery. And people were telling me about this. And I asked multiple questions from like different people who I suspect might know more about it. And what deterred me from doing it was not knowing the long-term effects of what it would have on my body. Would it make it easier or make me more injury prone? Would I be strong for just a, a moment? And then if I stop using this stuff or whatever it is, H, I think it was HGH they recommended. If I stop using it, would my body fall apart like Mr. Potato Head? No pun intended. <laughs> but you, you just don't know. I don't know enough about that type of stuff to, to make an educated decision on it. But thankfully, I did it all natural and just did regular PT. Time took its course, stayed on it, strengthened it up. And thank God my body physically is strong enough to 
maintain the integrity of the procedure years later. So I look at Connor, I'm like, oh, this guy's a tank. There's no way he's making 55 anytime soon. So let's say he gets back in the testing pool. Now he's back in the testing pool. It's going to be within six months before he can fight, right? So when could he fight? Sometime next year, uh, what are we, November? It's almost May or June. I think he would probably try to fight sooner than that because I don't know if he's in the testing pool now or previously was. But that's probably when he would be able to come back and make a return. So what I'm saying is I still think Connor is a very dangerous guy. You have to raise the eyebrow wondering, like, what did he do in his off time that he was outside of the testing pool? That is a talking point, and it's fair for anyone to bring that up. Uh, whether or not it would change anything, I don't know. I do think he's a little bit more superior when it comes to the striking department than Chandler, but Chandler hits like a, a, a freaking tank. Chandler's got the wrestling. He displayed that against Dustin Poirier for the first time that I think we've seen in his entire UFC career. Um, if he goes out there and fights smart and stays focused for 25 minutes, because obviously that's going to be a main event fight, uh, good things could happen for him, you know? But I feel like once the fight goes past the first and second round, Chandler typically seems like his, his I don't want to say his fight IQ, but his decision-making kind of gets a little blurry. Maybe it's the type of fights that he's in where you get rocked and maybe you don't make the best decisions in the moment that you thought would make sense or you normally would would do in like typical sparring because you do get hurt in sparring but nowhere near to the same extent as you do in the actual fight when you get rocked by some of those punches like a Poirier you know so it can there's so many different little nuances that I think people don't actually think about but I think about all these things like why did someone might have did this and that's the psych the cycle the psychology part uh of it where I think when you start to break that part down it makes you a better student of the game. It makes you more understanding of what you're looking at. And it can I think it can help open up your game a little bit more because now you're looking at different things that you can play on when the fight rolls around. This is just what I think. I can be completely wrong. But that's how I break the game down, like, entirely. So I would actually definitely, I think everybody would tune in to watch that. But I think at this point, Chandler is in the need of a... a a big win. He needs to win. Yeah, he's fighting the best guys, but let's be honest here. You can fight as many of the best guys as you want. If you're not winning, you're not winning. And you're getting paid big bucks, you need to win. Even on a minute level, you need to win somehow, some way. Yeah, he's entertaining the fans, but how many times can he entertain the fans? Like, let's say Leonard Garcia. If you guys don't know who he is, go watch Leonard Garcia versus the Korean Zombie. Watch those fights and you'll go... I get it. I think they allowed him to lose six fights in a row before they, I think they gave him like a final walk-off or the sixth fight was his final fight that the UFC allowed him to have. But that's what I'm talking about. The guy was just all entertainment, came out with swing punches from his ass and would just look to put people away and just back and forth action. Anyone with any type of brain wouldn't fight him like that, but that's the type of fight Leonard Garcia would get in. Kind of reminds me of Chandler, even though he doesn't swing like that, um, that reckless, I should say. But what I'm comparing is you got to eventually win to, uh, I guess, keep your job. I would like to see him do the Eddie Alvarez versus Chandler 3. Like, I think it's 3 or 4. Have them do that in the UFC. Like, one final song. Like, sign Eddie for one more fight and just have him come in and put on a hell of a show and end that chapter, that storyline for good. Or sign him up for McGregor. See who gets fed to who. I would like to see where McGregor is at mentally, physically. 
Will he come out and start kicking again? Will he start using his spinning back kicks and things as, as, as such? Um, his oblique kicks, his hook kicks. Uh, we all know he can box, but when he mixes it up, that's where he's very, very dangerous, especially when he throws that long teep. That's like a snapping teep. It's not like a push kick. He snaps it to look to zap your energy from the body. Like These are all good techniques that people need to pay attention to because those are the little tiny details that can really dictate change of fight. Um, we talked about that a lot. Uh, next up, I don't know if you guys were seeing this, um, but I mean, I, I, I know you guys have seen this. Let me, let me rephrase that. I know you guys have seen this. After Izzy and the Pereira fight, the dust has settled in their third fight. Obviously, Pereira comes back with the comeback kid win in the fifth round. Emphatic victory uh, for him to pull through. Putting the investments into the leg kicks, slowing Izzy down eventually. I don't think he was thinking that he would have did what he did to Izzy's leg, but I think he was just investing in the legs, and it paid off in a much bigger way, slowed Izzy down to the point where he was able to trap him against the cage and do the land the shots that he needed to land to get Izzy out of there in a do-or-die round where Izzy was two and a half minutes away from skating to a unanimous decision victory or possibly catching him and putting on the finishing touches like he almost did at the end of the first round. Pereira showed who he is, why he's dangerous to anybody, and he can put anybody away at any given point in the fight. And that's a dangerous person to, to scrap with. So going back to that, I'm looking at this fight, post-fight stuff, and I'm just seeing like the news on everything, and I'm just seeing all these memes, and these people, the internet is vicious, people. Vicious. Like, I saw videos of me doing a dab. You know when you have, like, the NBA colors, like, the two colors of the guy dribbling the basketball? It's like a silhouette, and it's, like, two colors. That was, like, me doing the dab um, after my loss to Marlon Marais. And I see Izzy. They're like, oh, Izzy's going to play golf. Pereira's in his golf, waiting waiting in his golf outfit, waiting for Izzy to show that he's better. Um, he goes professional swimming. He, he's waiting for him to do that. Uh, he goes to the courtroom, he gets himself arrested, or he's the parole guy. I'm like, this is just hilarious. Like, I know Izzy is a, a man who has a good sense of humor, so I can see him looking at this like, you funny fucks. Uh, I can't wait to show you guys. I know, and from him on the Flagrant Podcast, he's kind of psychotic in the head, kind of like myself, man, where you'll keep competing with somebody just to say you can beat them one time, and then when you do it, it's just like, all right. We did it. I told you I could do this, you know? And that's just his competitive nature. And it's and it's, uh, it's commendable for me to see, and I think for the other people, because one, the way he lost, he's still ambitious about getting back in there and, and having that chance to fight him again, getting back out there and competing again. He wants to enjoy some downtime, enjoy the holidays, go watch UFC Perth as a fan, just relax, which much deserved which I would like to do as well. I'm hoping I can get out there to Perth and just go watch and hang out with the crowds for a little bit and just enjoy Australia, maybe for like a week and a half or something like that. So there's, there's a lot of things on the table right now. Um, other than that, just just the memes, I just think they're just hilarious, man, because no matter what, people are going to be waiting for you. It's almost like they're, yeah, it's almost like they're preying on your downfall, man. Um, but like I said, Izzy handled the whole thing like a man, uh, took it on the chin, literally, and is rolling with the punches. And, it's, and for him, it's life, man. 
And that's what it's all about. I try to explain this to people. Like, why don't you care about X, Y, Z? I'm like, I do care. Don't get it wrong. Izzy does care. But he does understand that there is bigger things in life that are more important. And there are worse things in life that has happened to him and can happen to him. And I think once you go through life a little bit, you experience a bunch of different things. Depending on where you grew up, what you're exposed to, you tend to have an understanding of that a little bit more. So for him to achieve all the things that he's done, to get here, to entertain, to do all this stuff, this is just a minor setback for an opportunity for a major comeback and to continue to write his story. And that's what wins and losses are. How will you handle it? Would you let it defeat you and define you? Or will you come back and battle through the adversity, find the lightness in the dark, and eventually resurface and show the world who you are. Show yourself who you are. Because at the end of the day, when you're at bed by yourself, alone at night, in the shower, in the bathroom, wherever it is that you are by yourself and those thoughts start to creep in, it's literally you, yourself, and I. Um, well, I don't want to say I, but it's literally you and yourself and those thoughts that you have to sleep with in those moments and... All those demons, they come to haunt you a little bit and you have to be comfortable in your own skin, be comfortable in your own thoughts. And how will they eat you up or will they motivate you and burn the fire for you to want to get back or burn the fire for you to want to improve kind of thing. Um, with that said, again, I thought Izzy handled it extremely well. I think a lot of people could take notes from him and understand that fighting is scary, it's dangerous. Um, there's a lot of people who talk shit to us, but at the end of the day, these are people who are talking shit behind the comfort of their keyboards while not actually getting up and risking anything worth talking about in their life. Because anyone who's successful, who's chasing a dream, or is doing has done something, they don't go out of their way to throw shade or hate on people. You know what I mean? Even if you say someone got humbled a bit, you're not going to go so far out of your way to antagonize someone to say... That's why this happened to you, you know? And I think it just goes to be goes to show the world like where we are as a, as a society and where we can go. And I think, um, man, this is just, there's just so much. To go. Like, uh, like, again, people are going to be people. You're allowed to make fun of whoever the hell you want to make fun of. Um, do whatever you want. You paid your money, whatever. Um, I just hope, it's done in good spirits and not like trying to be malicious about it, if that makes sense. Like there's some people who do things with the purpose or intention of trying to say like literally F your life kind of thing, you know? And I think that's where it gets a little bit of that, I don't say gray area, but it's just like, why, how can you potential? how can you actually go out of your way to hate on somebody so much that it's almost like you're, it's almost like what you're living for. It's like, where's your journey? Where's your passion? Where's your... Where's like what you've doing? What it, like, yeah, I, I can't find the proper words to describe this, but it's just like, what do you, what have you done to give you the opportunity or to make you feel like you're that much better than somebody else to try to put them down when they're actually chasing something that you probably wish you could do and you can't. Literally, you can't hold a candle or a match to their candle, you know? So, again, the memes and all that are funny. Um, I know Izzy's going to embrace it. I know he's going to get back on the horse eventually. Hopefully they do They do have that rematch. And um, 
if he wins again, man, it, it closes the chapter on, I think, them two. And then maybe they have to go do something like golf or tennis or something like that. but Or a basketball game. Or rugby. I don't know. I know he said he'll fight him 10 times. I don't know if the UFC is going to do that fight 10 times. But it was very competitive. It was fun to watch. And again, kudos to Izzy for handling it like a man and showing us that no matter what happens to you in life, man, is you're going to be throwing a curveball. And even when things are looking like they're going well, sometimes life will pull the rug from underneath you and you got to figure out how to adjust and how to pivot on the fly. And I think that's what that fight was. Izzy on cruise control winning that fight the entire time. Then life pulled the rug from underneath him in the almost the 11th hour. And for him, it's, okay, how do I adjust and pivot, and where do I go from here? I think that wraps it up as best as I can. Next up, we got Pereira taking on Hamza Chemaev. I know DC was talking about this. This is a very fun fight for multiple reasons. If Izzy could take down Pereira and hold him down, what can Hamza do? Now, there's going to be a significant size advantage, but we all know wrestling is wrestling. The difference is we're throwing punches. is not a straight-up wrestling match. If it was a straight-up wrestling match, Hamza gets my money all day. I don't care what the odds are. Even if I only win a dollar, one plus uh, minus 20000 You know what I mean? Take my money. There's no way Pereira is beating Hamza Chemaev in a grappling match. I think we can all agree on that, right? So now we have a fight. Obviously, we know Chemaev, he can stand up. He can scrap. He's not the most technical guy. But we all know he just needs to get to the fight and close the distance where he can grab the legs and use his dominance in the grappling sequences. Shit. I would even say Bo Nickel has a chance. And I'm not trying to be facetious or trying to be disrespectful. When there's such a large discrepancy in, in that window, a large gap like that, anyone who comes in as a specialist who has any type of MMA training, I think they could give that person, because styles make fights. It gives them some type of a issue. Literally got taken down, and again, I'm not trying to be like discrediting anything, but I'm just saying it looked like Pereira did not know the first step in, in how to shrimp, get that underhook, and get back to his feet. He's a strong guy. It's going to be hard to get him down, but once you get him down, I feel like that's where it's kind of off to the races, and it's just a race against the clock. And trying to finish him. And I'm not saying they come in and finish him in the first round. They come in and finish him in the second round. What I'm saying is they can come in and blanket him, do a lot of damage, make him tired, um, beat him up, and that could be the fight. Or Pereira can land a hell, uh, uh, one of those sinister punches that he lands, that left hook and puts his on your chin, or maybe one of those jumping switch knees that he hit Machilatas with and just knock your ass the fuck out. It could literally go like that as well. So, I don't know. But... I like Hamza's ch chance in that fight. I would give Bo Nickel a chance in that fight. Bo Nickel is smart enough to know I'm not going to engage in the striking. I'm just going to circle, use my feints and my level changes the same way you would in a match. Posting, level change, grabbing the wrist, looking for angles, cutting corners. When you have a guy who's that smart, he's going to be smart enough to know to circle, use footwork. I'll put it on Mike, throw something, overextend himself. And when he does do that, there's your opportunity in your window for an opportunity to grab the leg, get an entry, mix it up, and potentially dump him on his butt. And from there, literally, Pereira's going to need to figure out in a short amount of time if, they, that, if these fights were to happen, in a short amount of time, how to figure out how to get back to his feet. Exciting matchups. I would definitely tune in to watch those. I think they would be really, really fun to watch. 
Um, I don't know if they're going to do that. But I think if you want to put Hamza in a title fight situation, because who else is there right now? Robert Whitaker fought already. Then you got Jared Cannonier. I think he's fighting Sean Strickland, but, you know, obviously he lost to Izzy just this past, not too long ago. Um, Darren Till. You know, it's like, so who do you put in there on merit that should be fighting for a title shot next? Marvin Vittori? I don't know. I kind of like this Hamza Chemayev idea. I think it's fun. I think it's different. I think it gives us a lot to question what can happen. Can Hamzat be as dominant as he says he can be at 185? Can he actually win the belt at 185 and at 170? Very good opportunity. 17 pounds, 15 pounds of a weight difference. 170 to 185 is huge. Hamzat being strong and fresh, will cardio be a problem? Will he gas himself out trying to take down a big guy like Alex Pereira who looks bigger than some of the lightweights, light heavyweights? It's an interesting scenario. And if I had to bet, Hamza is such a crazy person, though. He might actually be crazy enough to try and stand and strike with Pereira, which would just be so ill-advised for me. I'm not saying he should be scared, but to just sit there and trade, kind of like Strickland did for too long, and then eventually Pereira finds his connection, finds his distance, and he just needs to go, uh, and you're going to sleep. So, I don't know. I, if, I don't bet on fights, but if I... If that matchup did happen, honestly, no disrespect to Pereira. I just think there's such a large gap in skill set there that I would find myself betting on Kobe, Kobe, um, <laughs> Hamza Chemaev in that situation. I would even throw Kobe Covington in that, but he's just, he's even smaller than those guys. He can actually probably make 155. So I wouldn't put Kobe in that conversation, but Kobe versus Hamza Chemaev is a fun fight. Um, I think that's the one that they're going to make. But if there's any opportunity to put this man in a title shot opportunity right away, especially with the whole weight-cutting debacle from the first fight, from the last fight, that had a crazy mix-up with him, Kevin Holland, the, um, the Diaz fight and all that, Ling Jingliang, D-Rod. I say in this one, give Hamza Shemaev the title fight. Why not? Throw him in there. Have him fight for the gold. Make it interesting. Unless Izzy's going to come back sometime sooner than later. If not, Hamza Chemaev is your guy. Thank me later. This will be a very fun fight. I kill everybody. Um, again, I don't know if he wins, but I like the odds and the chances. I do think he gets Pereira down to the ground a couple of times. And if he does, that could ultimately lead to the finish. And we will have the, the Wolf as champion at 185. And potentially 170. Okay. And last but not least, I did want to talk about my next fight. So here's where I'm at. Just give you guys a little background. I haven't had an opportunity to talk to the UFC yet. I just, I know I, told, I talked about this on some of the other podcast platforms that I'm in transition of figuring out what I'm going to do with management, if I'm going to stay or cut ties. Um, so I did cut ties with my previous management. And, so, you know... Part of me has to ask, is the problem me? But then I look at the situations I've been with. You know, I've been with first round. I've been with um, this LLC company. I, and I'm not looking to disparage anybody. I've been with Dave Martin, um, LLC. Uh, I don't know the, the actual name of the company has been. Um, who was the other one I was with? I was with... Um, I was with those guys, Martins. I was with... First round, 
And then I went free agent for by, by for a while, for about two years. I was with Ballinger. Then they split to Vayner Sports and Ballinger. Like the, the the guy who was working the Ballinger, they split and started a new thing with Vayner Sports. I decided to explore Vayner Sports. Um, it didn't really work out the way I thought it was going to um, for multiple reasons. And I'm not going to go into depth on that because I'm not looking to bash anybody whatsoever. I'm just going to say it just wasn't a good fit based on everything that was happening behind the scenes. So now here I am, a free agent again. I'm, I am talking to a couple different people right now. And um, I'm not sure which way I'm going to go. There's a couple things that kind of bothers me a little bit and I don't want to this I just think the the policy that the way that these managers have been doing things the whole 10% thing and negotiating one time on our behalf there's there's just a couple of things that I think are very very old school and again I'm not going to get into crazy details but there's a couple of things that I think are a little bit outdated and because it's been such a standard practice that I think everyone that's in the space has been doing this for a very long time. It's kind of like, well, this is standard. Well, this is standard. Well, this is standard. Yes, but I do think these are also things that need to be looked at and can be tweaked. Maybe on a client-by-client basis. I'm not telling anyone how to do their job. Um, but I do know we go in there and we fight very, very hard. We train very, very hard. And uh, money that's paid out needs to be earned. And I think that's the most politically correct way I could put it. And, uh, yeah, again, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers and leave it at that. And uh, with that being said, I kind of want to wait to see what the conversation is going to look like between the UFC, Brass, and I. We haven't had any talks yet to see where everything is going to fall, see where they're thinking for me to come back and fight. I still have this stupid injury with my thumb because the first shot I threw in the ground and pound, I felt like I destroyed my ligament the same way I did against Pedro Munoz. I threw a hook sideways and punched him with my thumb. There's like a two ligaments that hold the thumb in, in place. I had a partially torn one in my left hand. You can see the knuckles extremely swollen here. This is from 2019. This one I did against TJ, and it's kind of the same thing. I can feel the bulge, but it's still weak. So when I grab like wrist control and people start to pull, I can feel that tendon still, uh, or ligament, yeah, tendon. I can feel that it's two tendons, not ligament, two tendons. I can feel that tendon, stretch, tendon stretching, and I can feel the pain with it super sharp still. Um, it was a lot sharper last week, but it's definitely better now. When, even when I was hitting pads, if I didn't connect with the two front knuckles, even though I was, but if it touched even the slightest amount of the side of my hand, that impact into my thumb would kill. So that's why I was hitting pads with one glove, one um, focus mitt, and the other one was a noodle, just to like get some work in and not keep damaging the ligament so that I can try to heal up as best as I can. I still have a tweaked rib. I got the x-rays not broken. I don't know what the hell is going on with this. I thought it was better. And as I'm warming up with Dennis and he puts me in a body lock, he starts to squeeze. And I go, yeah, I thought I was better, but I'm actually in a lot of pain still. Um, my foot's a lot better now. So I'm happy about that. So I can start training, hopefully like really, really training maybe next week or sometime this week. Hopefully that'd be nice where I can actually hit pads on full impact with focus mitts. I can hit the bag and see where everything's at with that. I can move around as long as I'm placing my shots and being very, very critical and precise of what I'm doing. Everything's all good. But, um, yeah, going back to this fight situation. So I'm just waiting for that so I can figure out what we're going to do and check the temperature on 
who the UFC wants me to fight and kind of go from there. I know people are saying you're, you do what you're told. I'm like, dude, I've, I've always done what the UFC has told me to do, honestly. I mean, any opponent that they give me, I say yes. I literally, I don't think there's any opponent I have said no to. Um, Yeah, there was one time. They wanted me to have the rematch after beating Corey Sanhagen. They wanted me to have a rematch with Marlon Marais. And I was just like, what sense does that make at all? I was like, he had a chance to fight for the belt. He lost. I beat I beat um, Corey Sanhagen, who was the highest ranked guy. I should be fighting for the belt. And I guess if I had beat Marlon Marais, they would have put me in the title shot without any delay. And then they try to go around that. But uh, maybe maybe that's why they did all that. Maybe because they I denied the um, turned down the fight. But it wasn't it wasn't like I turned down the fight. I was like, dude, you guys said this was this was the number one contender fight. So the way I'm looking at it is as okay, if you guys told me this is the number one contender fight, then I win, and then you tell me I have to fight one more. It's kind of like, well, that's not that wasn't the deal. We were supposed to honor the deal. Um, and even though that wasn't a deal made with me, that was just what was said in public. They they said, yeah, this is the number one contender fight kind of thing. That's, I think that's what I'm pretty sure that's what um, Dana was saying in the media. Kind of the same thing like Jan versus Omali. Whoever wins this, yeah, the, absolutely. Whoever wins this fight is fighting for the title. So, yeah, I just go by based on what they tell me or what they say because um, there's never like a direct line of communication all the time. I try not to bother them because obviously they got so many fighters to worry about. Um, but with that being said, I think my next fight is possibly going to be Henry Cejudo. It's not the fight I want because honestly, I, I, I'm not really excited about fighting Henry Cejudo, like not even at all. Like I know people are going to say, well, he's re returning champion, but hear, hear, hear me out. When it comes to what Henry has done, nothing can be denied with that. But when it comes to him being on the couch and then coming off of a two and a half year layoff, and remember, May makes three years of a layoff. So he's fought nobody. We've been active. We've been fighting the killers of the division. Let's say I beat him. I get no props for that because people are going to say, oh, you, he came off the couch, ring rust, ring rust. I beat TJ. Oh, he was compromised. I'm like, no. Idiots. He, the guy was sparring and winning his sparring sessions. He legitimately thought he could win in the, the situation that he was in. The same way I thought I could win when I tore my labrum and I fought seven pro fights like that. And I won. We all take these chances. We all take these gambles. These gambling situations. We make that, we make that walk. It's on us. So don't make excuses for us. Don't make excuses for Henry Cejudo. But again, going back to what I'm saying is, I don't get excited because of all that small details that go, go on behind it. I, one, I don't feel like he's serious. Can, can fat ass even make weight? Three-year layoff. I beat him. I get no, no respect again, even though it's not my fault. These are all things out of my control. What I can control is fighting a guy who's been on a streak. He's winning. Give me the guy that you think is hot right now. Oh, you're just going to go out there and take him down. It's easier said than done. Much easier said than done. I will admit, once I do take him down, that it's pretty much autopilot from there. I can pretty much do whatever I want. Um, but I would imagine within now, for six months, if you put in the proper time, you can get substantially better. A lot better. I went from losing to one kid in college. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to bore you guys with that story. But you can make a lot of gains in six months. And with that being said... Uh, Maybe I don't fight. Maybe I let these guys fight a number one contender. How about Henry go fight Marab 
who's ranked number two right now. You beat Marab, you get the title shot. Right? Or Henry go fight O'Malley. You beat O'Malley, you get the title shot. Or we have a rematch between O'Malley and Cheeto Vera. Make it an interim. Whoever wins that gets the title shot. While this division sorts itself out, I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going to be, I'm going to Jamaica next month. I'm going to be doing a bunch of seminars down there. I'm going to be down there. I'm going to be giving back, doing some charity with some new groups I've never worked with, but I'm going to be doing that. Myself and my teammates, we're going down there to do some good work down there. And of course, vacation. Um, haven't been there since 2017 when I went down there and I did two weeks of seminars. My sister got married, so it was a two, two for one. Got to watch her get married down there. And at the same time, got to give back to the country doing a bunch of free seminars. I think we did about five, you know? Um, so this is what I'm about. So if people want to attack my character and attack, go ahead, man. At the end of the day, it's water off of a dove's back, man. It really is. Um, I'm going to do what I need to do to protect myself and my future. And not saying uh, that's not the fight. You know, we still have to discuss things. We still have to discuss where we're at contractually. Um, and I want to see what the UFC is thinking. Because, again, I've always been a company guy. Yeah, I say some things. Yeah, I don't like. I think there's always going to be things like that in a relationship that people don't always like. Um, but that's why it's a relationship. And you talk it out. So I'm I'm excited, I would say, to have those conversations with the UFC and see where we're at with everything. And then we can progress from there. So from my time down, uh, I think the UFC right now, if I'm any of these fighters, this is what I'm thinking. If Sterling's going to sit out and recover, do all his stuff for his partial bicep tear and do all these other things. Um, enjoy the work that he did because he fought twice in one year already because I fought twice in one year already. Uh, maybe we should go out there and make a definitive claim on who should be next to fight for the world title. Let me go out there and let me win. And I think that's the smart thing to do for the other bandwidth. Don't look at me and cry, cry, cry wolf to me. I did my part. I fought twice. What are these other guys doing? Be active, as the people are telling me. Be active. Go out there and win. Stake your claim. And claim your land, your territory, and show the world why you should be next to fight for a world title. The same way I have. I wasn't given no handouts, no shortcuts. And uh, I don't think anyone else should be doing the same. Boom, boom, boom. All right. So we're going to take some questions right now on the Twitterverse. Boom, boom, boom. <clears throat> Some fan questions. When are we meeting in Singapore from at Teep channel? Uh, I'm not sure. If I come to <clears throat> Australia as a guest fighter, definitely could do a fan meetup there because I know that's not too far from you because I believe you're in like, as you said, the Singapore area. Mm -mm. Okay. Dan, at Dan220, when's the next fight or when are you hoping to fight again? Goat. I'm hoping to fight again. Um, maybe April, April, May, or June. I know I'm going to get the itch and want to compete. I'm young. I want to make money. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to kick ass, make money while I'm young. But of course, when I have injuries and things like that, that I need to take care of, I'm going to take care of those things first and not just jump right back in, just to be in a tough man contest. Like I said, I, earlier in this podcast, I could barely punch, um, with this right hand well, It's much better now. So I want to make sure that, um, I'm giving myself every opportunity to make sure I'm healed up. Let's see this one. At 
XQM2Y Rec be a whole lot of letters. Champ Fire, I would like to know if Champ will challenge the featherweight title soon. I honestly think Champ is. <clears throat> I honestly think Champ is the one with the competitive argument in Volk and on featherweight right now. Um, Jamaican Crown, Jamaican flag, Crown Crown, U.S. flag. I I mean I would love to do that. You know, if I would go up and it would give me an immediate title shot, I would love that opportunity, especially with all the uncertainty that's going on in that division, especially if I would fight one more time, which I will, and win. I think, why not go up to 45? And how could you deny me to go up and have an immediate title shot opportunity? And I think with that being said, um, it just depends when. I, I just don't know when that would be because obviously Volkanovski is going up. Then you have Yair Rodriguez fighting Josh Emmett for the interim title. And then we'll figure out who will be the interim champ to fight Volkanovski on his return. Or if Volkanovski is going to stay at 155, shall he win and beat Islam Makhachev? Maybe he just stays up at 155. We'll see if he can stay active and go back and forth because that's not easy to do. The extra 10 pounds is a big difference. Um, boom, 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 boom. Um, at Kyle Cross 17, which potential future matchups that you could that you could have excite you the most, 135 and 145? The ones that excite me the most, again, fighting Sean O'Malley, that excites me because it's a dangerous fight. That excites me. That's a, a fight I'm looking at like, man, from this guy to go from the YouTuber, um, get, not even YouTuber, the gamer kid that came in with the colorful hair and made his way through, oh, he's being fed, he's getting the Dana White privilege, oh, he's getting all these easy fights, he's getting blah, blah, blah. He's arrived. Sean o O'Malley is, is here. He's dangerous, and he is that good. That's a guy you can't turn your back on and go, uh, but he might have had an easier way to the top, stylistically favored matchups, but he's here. That's a matchup that really excites me because, again, I do truly think he's dangerous, and I think another one, let's say at 155, I think the Volkanovski fight interests me a lot because I hear all these things about how hard it is to hold him down, Izzy was even harping on this on the Flagrant Podcast. And it makes me go, like, okay, I like that challenge. Like, if I actually take him down, can I do to him what I've been doing to everybody else at 45 and at 135? I think I can. But they talk about him as if he's this juggernaut on the ground and he's so powerful. And I'm just like, I, I like to think when you cut weight and you lose all that weight from when he played rugby, you do lose a little bit of that strength because you no longer have the mass to control to keep that strength. So that's where I'm at with that. I think it would be a very interesting fight, and I would love to see how I could do with him. Um, at Esteban Perez 69, your thoughts on Usman Namagamedov and how does he stack up against the... Con I think he's very talented, man. I think Usman could come over to the UFC today and fight for a world title and give Volkanovski fits, possibly even beat him. I mean, he's featherweight, right? No, Bell, Bellator, MMA, lightweight. Oh, he's lightweight. Okay, so that changes things a little bit. So he would come in and have to fight um, Islam, Makhachev. I don't think that would actually happen, but I think he could come in and really, really like show a lot of people what's up. Wow. So crazy, right? 155 lightweight champ. Yeah, very, very interesting. I think he's super talented. Um, at Rocky Roido, beside yourself, who is the best looking fighter in the UFC? Well, thank you. 
I actually don't look at these guys like that. That's kind of weird for me to do that. I can say people are not ugly, but um, most attractive. I, I don't know. Some good-looking fellas out there, I think. We're not bad-looking dudes. Mm -mm. Um, what else we got? Let's do one more because then I got to run. I got a couple things I got to set up with this um, community down in Jamaica so that we can get the final itinerary lined up. I believe Leon Edwards is going to be down there around the same time as myself as well. So hopefully we can link up and you guys can see the best of both worlds down there. You don't know it. You see me. Bop, 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 bop. Jamaica, I'm you know. Let's go. This is a tough question because I don't know all these guys from these other organizations. Um, someone asked, Gio Tezelashvili, when are you coming to Georgia, Swanee man? Um, I would love to come back some point, but I, of course I got to train, man. I can only go to so many places and do so many different things, but I got to make sure I'm staying somewhat in shape and making sure I'm getting in proper work. So I can't just be on vacation the whole time as much as I would love to. But um, I think, let's do one more, actually. Um, at MMA on 261, past matchup opponent that motivated you the most? I like that question. Damn, past, the one that motivated me the most, I mean, so far... Man, it's between Henan Burrell and Pedro Munoz. Those two fights really, really motivate, motivated me. And, of course, the Jan fight, but talking like not so recent. Henan Burrell because only one guy had beaten him, and that was TJ Dillashaw. And then I always said I knew I had the skills to beat him. And then the other guy was Pedro Munoz because he was such a dog, and I knew he thought he was going to be able to just punk me any way that he wanted and bully me around the cage and think that my striking was shit. And I was like, I can't wait to show the world that my striking is as good as anybody else's. I just never need to use it. And of course, my wrist was torn really bad to the point of um, it was I need to get the surgery, which I did uh, because I could barely grapple in training. And I was having less and less luck with getting takedowns in the Jimmy Rivera fight and with the fight against Pedro Munoz because the, the ligament was torn. I didn't have the grip strength. I went from pharma carrying 110 to 120 pound dumbbells to about 60 or 40 60, then 40, yeah. It was really bad with my right wrist. Grip strength was completely shot. So I need to get that done. And thankfully, I got that fixed. Um, but that fight, I got to show the world how good of a striker I really am. And if people haven't seen me strike, I'm telling you, go back and watch that fight with Pedro Munoz and I, and you'll see the show that we both put on for the fans. And um, with that said, um, AlgermanSterling.com um, for merch. And we got GFuel.com for 20% off. Use my promo code Al. Joe, 20% off, and sleepybeer.com, sleepybeer gummies. Um, go to the website and use the code FUNKMASTER for your discount as well. i see you guys later. If you like my shit, subscribe to my shit, or spin it back, fist, baby. i see you guys later. Peace.